From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. everybody to another edition of are you not entertained joining me as always for our goal and goal segment is the man himself the wee man himself roger mitchell your wee man hey roger hi, hi grant how are you I, I, well you'll find out how, how i am later on in this show i suspect when we get to the own goals <laughs> <laughs> but, but we, we are recording this the day after the famous scotland england match it should be for the record yes the draw that will fortify the scottish nation for who knows? Twenty-five years, perhaps. We'll see. But um, well, we'll get into that later. We will get into sure. that later. For, for no doubt, and I suspect for each of us, it's going to be one or the other—a goal or an own goal. <laughs> but we'll, but we'll, as I say, we'll come to that later. Well, we, we have one of our irregular but always extremely welcome guests joining us today, Rog, which is always nice for the goal on goal. Why don't you let people know who's joining us today? Uh, well, today we've got a proper football fan, a Gunner, an Arsenal fan, uh, Elliot Richardson, who will be known to a lot of people in the sector as the founder of Dugout, which was a revolutionary in, in getting all the big clubs together and in some ways uh, as a commercial uh, precursor of what is a European Super League and getting them to invest in a medium platform that they themselves owned. So Elliot has probably been one of the pioneers in the changing of sports media and the business models that uh, finance it. He will have a strong view uh, he is very close to a lot of the big clubs. I think if we really push him on at hard grant, we can probably get him to like take us a little bit behind the curtain. And recently, uh, Dugout merged with a, another company called One Football, which is one of these streaming companies, over the top, whatever way you want to call it. And um, you know, he, he would probably they'll pr- probably go onto this a little bit, but I think mainly we're just going to chat as a Fulham fan, as a Gunner, and as a Celtic fan. Excellent. What could be better on a Saturday morning, Rog? What could be better? And as if by magic, the shopkeeper appeared. <laughs> Mr. Ben. We've got to date ourselves now, aren't we? Elliot, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Elliot. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Great to see you, Elliot. Thank you. All of you looking good, all, all in good shape. How's the Caribbean? The Caribbean is uh, hot, humid, sunny, Crystal clear blue waters, white sand beaches. How, how, how much do you want to know, Elliot? Just so well, I can. It sounds gauge great. It. I was just going to say the Scots <laughs> brought the weather with them the last few days didn't just to just? make sure. Uh, <laughs> didn't they just? <laughs> make sure they felt it was a nice Glasgow morning yeah. this morning, I think. No kidding. Crystal yeah, <laughs> over our parade, that's for sure. <laughs> as there's there to do no surprise. Yeah, exactly. Well, Elliot, we, 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 um, we're, we're thrilled to have you with us thank you we rarely get people to come and do this with us roger and I. we always really really enjoy having an extra guest and, and it's also why it's also why we don't have a sponsor for this particular show because <laughs> yeah. it's probably a little bit <laughs> too close to the bone exactly right <laughs> exactly right we may get on to sponsors we, yeah maybe we maybe it might we be topical it. this week uh well no i'm delighted thank you very much guys for having me on and uh it's fun 
yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's like going to have a drink with a couple of mates in the pub. It's yeah, fun. that's exactly um, so what it's meant to be. That's Perfect. exactly what it's meant to be. And and as for me, it's, uh, what is it, 8 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday. I need to channel my inner Scotsman here, Rog, to, to get that feeling of going in the pub and having a drink because it's uh, <laughs> it's more a Scottish thing at this time of the morning than it is an English thing, I think. Um, but Elliot, look, Rog, Rog has, has given us like a, a quick bio, but give us your kind of sports background. So we know, I know you're an Arsenal fan. How did that love affair start? Just so that the listeners have a little background. Yeah, well, totally. So I'm 49 years old, Grant. So um, I was born in, uh, for those lucky enough as an Arsenal fan, to born in the first double year, right at the end of the first double year, which is 50 years this year. So I turned 50 December the 30th. So my father for years drove me mad about the, the one and only double. We've been lucky enough to win a couple since, um, which my brother and my father are both present at. So uh, we've man- managed to close that gap out. But my family are all from North London. In fact, uh, a slightly split family, which most people find this difficult to believe uh, now. But many people years ago had tickets at both grounds, yeah. uh, Spurs and Arsenal. Um, huh. Oh, I thought you were going to say uh, Arsenal and Barnet, the two big North London clubs. Yeah. Well, Barnet, Barnet, that, that's another story. That's the whole Stan Flashman story, which we might have to save for another day, even even if this is near the bone, but I have to keep that one um, for another day. But so I was born in 71, father's from Caledonian Road, but dad's Caledonian Road boy, um, uh, otherwise known as Hungry Hill, that was called, um, Life <laughs> Mansions, I think it's condemned. So my father and grandfather, my, my grandfather was going in the 30s, so real steeped in Islington tradition. My mother... So my grandfather on my mother's side was Tottenham season ticket holder, first licensed bookmaker in London, a guy called Len Day, and had the betting shop on Tottenham High Road when oh, Arthur wow. Rowe and Bill Nicholson and everybody coming in. So real split family. Um, but we were lucky enough to watch some tremendous Spurs teams and tremendous Arsenal teams, not always in the same eras. So lots of friends on both sides means something. I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit more today. So really that was my lot. And of course in the Mid seventies, starting to watch Arsenal was not such a great time. They, um, I remember my dad used to say, "If you're naughty, I'll take you to Arsenal on a Saturday." <laughs> and then we got we got to the three cup finals at the end of the seventies, one one, and then lost to West Ham. By then, my mother had tried to sort my father out by moving him out to East London, which didn't always work. So I, I was the only Arsenal kid in the class in 1980 when Brookings scored. Still haunts me. In fact, probably more than any final loss, the West Ham one still haunts me more just just because of the trauma of being the only Arsenal kid in a class in Romford. So, um, so from there, you know, never never stopped. My my headmaster, which sort of leads into dugout and other things. My headmaster's last school report said if Richardson paid as much attention to his schoolwork as he does to football statistics, he'll go a long way in life. And Bingo. so uh, <laughs> there we go. And so really from that moment on, and then I was very lucky, much to my parents upset I left school at 16 and it was the first year it was 1988 which was George Graham's sort of great era and I went to every game home and away including Anfield nice. um, and Roger Roger and I were bouncing oh, wow. around the other week on yeah. Twitter about what an evening you know, and, and uh, what a night and all the stupid super I'm the most superstitious person in the world so I'd never with one of my friends I'd never seen Arsenal get beat when we we stood versus <laughs> seat so I had <laughs> I did everything I could do. So I, I went up to Arsenal Travel Club. There's a guy called Paul Johnson who ran it at the time, who ended up becoming the kit man at Arsenal for a long time. And I, I begged him to swap the two seats I had for standing, along with my brother who already <laughs> had a ticket and everything else. And up we went on that afternoon. And in fact, I remember England were playing 
at Hamden on the Saturday. So the whole journey up there on a Friday night, on a bank holiday Friday in late May, because of obviously everything that tragically happened that year at Hillsborough, it was a late finish to the season. And up we got, we took six and a half hours to get there. The game got delayed and in we went. And so I was lucky from that. For years, I went every game home and away. And then slowly but surely, life you have more responsibilities yeah. in life. Yeah. And uh, But still been a season ticket holder and go as much as I possibly can. So that's my football background and why I'm an Arsenal supporter. But football in general, I'm I'm a lover of. And you know, being able to do that, with the last few years and doing that with the world's biggest clubs is sort of pinch your stuff, self stuff, you know, forget the business side of it when you're meeting with certain people. And of course, some of the clubs, not all of them fill themselves up with legends, which I think are the better run clubs actually, and have more of a a DNA still as something um, when you walk to Bayern Munich and the fact that Bayern Munich only will hire Bayern Munich supporters to work there, you know, whether that's the club doctor, whether it's, you know, that Eddie runs a travel business, anything, I think that has something to be said. And that's not necessarily easy in somewhere like the UK where there's a huge fight for talent. But having people who love the club, I think, makes a huge difference when you see some of the clubs around Europe. I think they do that better. So, yeah, it's been great. So, that's football. But all sport, to be honest with you, Grant, I, you know, I'm an enthusiastic amateur. I was a terrible player. And as you get older, you think you were better than you were. So, you can imagine yeah, yeah. how bad I was. But I love the game and love all sport, really. So, yeah, anything to do with sport, we have an opinion on and enjoy watching. Fantastic. Well, it's, it's so good to have you with us. And look, as a guest, the very least we can do is let you have first crack at this. So, with either a goal or an own goal. Now, Roger, I don't know what you're going to bring to the table, but that's the way we like it. So, fire one of them at us and we'll see okay. where it takes us. I think we get the... Um, so, I'm going to start with a positive. I think the goal. And uh, so, my, my goal of... The week's got to be the Scotland fans being in London, and uh, and 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 I know that's not and that's not an homage and a nod to to Roger, but it brings back lovely memories for me, and yeah, you know, maybe nostalgia as we all get older is increasingly prevalent. But just watching that in London the last two days, the, the banter, the you know, maybe on the Pope back of COVID, and I know everyone might have a view on whether they should all be out and about but just to see people with a smile on their face I, th- I don't know if you all watched the game last night but there was a split second where there were two Scots who clearly had had a great afternoon and one fell into the other and they cut it it was like literally a split second and and I, I just I, I bumped into loads of them over the last two days and the banter's brilliant I think it's the same with the Irish and the Welsh whenever they travel they're a credit to their country some of the stories are, are legendary I miss the fact we don't have those home internationals and maybe yeah. Right now, more than ever, this country could do with those the next few years. They create rivalry and everything else. And so for me, you know, it'd it'd just be brilliant to bring them back. I think the the respective FAs could do a lot worse than think of. I know calendars are difficult and some of the meaningless friendlies we all play that mean nothing. There must be a way to find that opportunity. And I'm not sure if this is true, Roger, or not. I remember years ago, the Scottish FA still supply the goals at Wembley as a an apology for many years ago. I know they used to pay for them every year. Things like that. Yeah, people laugh about that. That's brilliant. And I was telling my daughters about that last night. I said, those goals, I think, are still paid for by the Scots. And I showed them the, uh, the reasons why and Rod Stewart running around the pitch and all the stuff that goes on. And I, I just think the country could do with that. We're a union and... Yeah. You know, and, and I, I agree with that. I think it would be brilliant. They certainly never bought the turf. No, mate. that's for sure. That's that's that's. <laughs> I'm sure there isn't a garden in Scotland that doesn't claim to have some Wembley turf in it. 
there's a Wembley DNA and everything in Scotland, right? Yeah. In every turf. <laughs> and exactly even right. those who weren't at Wembley were there. there yeah. was, you know, there's 22 million Scots in Wembley that yeah. day. <laughs> it's, a, yeah, look, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great guys. It's funny, you know, you, you see because of, I guess, social media now, you get to see so much more of this stuff. You know, so I, obviously I'm, I'm far away from the UK, so I didn't see any of it up close. But of course, I'm bombarded in social media with the kind of images and video clips that. Everyone but a football Shocking. fan goes, oh, my God, Shocking. what a nightmare. And every football fan in the world goes, get in. This is hilarious. I love it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> just, and I've got to say, Rog, your mob just have a way of conducting themselves, which is absolutely perfect for the age of social media. <laughs> yeah, I saw a couple of clips that were a little bit cringe, I must admit. The whole nothing underneath the kilt thing and like uh, in the in the subway but, you know, I, to be fair to the Tartan Army, you know, they, they, they've never had a bad reputation for doing anything bad around the world. You know, okay, sometimes it's because, as Elliot said, they've had a good afternoon, yeah. in quotes, and a lot of them don't make the game. I've seen that happen a lot, uh, walking up to a game in the night time, just there, there's a lot of guys in the gutter just not going to make it. <laughs> and uh, But, you know, I, I think that Elliot's point is correct, you know, whether it's just after COVID, but, but more importantly... You know, I personally, I'm not one of those Scots that, you know, I think are becoming more and more prevalent about, you know, breaking away and everything like that. I am very, very comfortable in the union. And, and, and I actually think the Celts would do an awful lot to temper some of the worst elements of English nationalism, you know. And, you know, maybe that, I don't know whether we will want to deal with this now or not, but I mean, I think that's forever and a day has been one of the little issues with the England football team is that they just get ahead of themselves. And, you know, even in the punditry and, you know, so many people just let themselves down last night saying, like, well, this is going to be an easy game. It's going to be an easy game. One thing you know about Scotland, you know, like, and I'm their biggest critic as a, as a football team, is that they're going to surprise you when they, 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 you don't think they've got a chance. And, you know, we do have, and you know this because they play in the Premiership, we do have at least half a team of very, very decent players. And, you know, uh, I, I just don't understand why. But, but anyway, yeah, it, it was nice to, to see it happening again. And I would like the home internationals to come back. It, I remember them very fondly, uh, the home internationals. It was a great close to the season. And, of course, the Scotland-England game was the top of the tree there. So that's a great goal. It's, it, yeah, it's funny, Rose. It's definitely not the Tartan Army that have... A reputation of doing terrible things at tournaments is the team, so, yeah. that, so that's not too bad. But look, those home internationals were, as a schoolboy for me, an absolute highlight. I couldn't yeah. wait to watch those games. Yeah, and also if you think about you know late seventies, early eighties, Scotland had an unbelievable team, a fabulous you know, team, yeah, massively underperformed in eighty two, but still arrived back in Sinatra's in Marbella like like returning heroes. Yeah. You know, Alan <laughs> Brazil said he was down in his underwear by the time he'd got off the bus to get into Sinatra's, they've taken every piece of kit off of him down to his underwear. And, you know, that that, that sheer sort of love of the guys representing the... And I, I have a, a slightly amusing story. So late 80s, my school used to do... I remember most schools used to do sort of an awards day or a speech day at the end of the year. And we were forced to always put our suits on or school uniform and also wear an English rose. And it was on a Saturday afternoon. So a red rose... Saturday afternoon, and uh, there's this boy getting on at Stratford about 6.30 at night, heading back to Essex. I went to school in London, and I got on the train, and you know the old doors with the carriages where yeah. you'd open on the side, not the sliding doors? 
we have now. And it was a smoking carriage, and inside were eight Scots in full kill, two crates of McEwans. You know, it was, you know, they'd been on the ILA drip for a few days, <laughs> Roger. And this little English kid gets on with a red rose. Ah, uh, you're either you think, but the way they try, I was paralytic by the time I got to Romford. And <laughs> um, my mother, they just gave me a couple of drinks. I was and I never forgot it. And you know, and I'm probably one of the few Englishmen, you know, Flower of Scotland gives me goosebumps. It's one of the great, you know, compared to our own national anthem, which and I'm the most patriotic Englishman. But, you know, I love the Union. I love the Scots and, and they treated me brilliantly. I'm not sure it would have been the other way around. Some of the English would have treated the Scotsmen the same way, maybe. I hope so. Let, let, yeah. let's, stay on, let's stay on the England-Scotland because obviously it's definitely my own goal. I would imagine <laughs> Rog will probably save other things, but it would be a goal for him. But that... Uh, I mean, the game yesterday, it's funny, it was a microcosm of everything it is to be an England fan. As you said, Roger, getting ahead of yourself, an enormous amount of talented players, a team that, let's be honest, we should beat. I won't say easily, but we should yep. beat Scotland. Yeah. The stage is set, you know, Wembley, you've got fans back after the state, the whole thing. And what happens? We just go back, there's no energy, there's no inspiration there's no nothing it was dreadful to watch and you know I thought Scotland were slightly less poor than England I think probably a couple of Scottish players acquitted themselves I thought Billy Gilmore was was sensational but he's the best I think he's the best left back in the league yeah. he's not an Arsenal bias yeah. uh, he's yeah. he's outstanding they need to wrap him up in a contract quickly because otherwise yeah yeah. He needs to be he should be our captain as well I'm a big fan of Scottish yeah. captains at Arsenal yeah. so yeah. He, he should be our captain but it, you know, it was watching the game. It was just same old, same old. And it, you know, it was good. It was good to watch the at least the pundits fight. You know, I saw Wrighty piling in, and I thought soon this was great. Football's not coming home, not with this team, which I thought was, which I thought was, <laughs> which I thought is absolutely right. You know, but that's that ninety minutes was a microcosm of what it's been to be an England fan for fifty years, basically. Just expectation that you know is ahead of itself, but the disappointment still is crushing every time you watch them do something like that. Well, look, look let, let's take another view of this, and, and me as the Scotsman can put this in context for you. Tournament football is like an 800-metre race. You know, you just have to get yourself in position for the last 150 metres, then you need to peak. You know, many of the times, you know, you always tell me Italy always know what they're doing. Grant, in 82, Italy had three mm -hmm. dreadful opening yeah, games. Yeah. And then they just clicked. You know, let, let's look at where England are. Four points, zero goals conceded. Clearly... You would hope now as an England fan, there's enough data points of evidence to, to, to say a couple of things. I think you need to just look at the formation. You know, Harry Kane is not, is not no. fit or, or there, there's something seriously wrong. Uh, I've never been a big fan of his. Um, I think in, in football in 2021, at this level, you really need a bit of pace up front. And, you know, I think whatever injury he's carrying or, or whatever has made it worse, the fact he's not that pacey. So I think you have to start thinking the unthinkable and saying, look, he's not playing going forward. And then how do we do that? I'm not sure that Rice and Phillips can play together. They're pretty similar. I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Rice in the main. If you look at last night, you know, there everybody says, we must get Rice, Chelsea. We must get Rice. We must get Rice. Really? You know, like, look at the young boy <laughs> played against Mount. Just keep him. Yeah, yeah, you, don't need to buy in. Yeah. you don't need to buy yeah. anybody. You know, so I love Mount. I think Mount is going to be the David Beckham of his generation, both in terms of a marketing proposition and as a player. 
Uh, Foden was out of position. I think they could do something better there. I'd play a back five, you know. I think that suits England well, 3-4-3 three, three type thing. So I, the, what I'm trying to say to you is this has happened early enough in the competition that uh, there is a chance to just retouch it. You won't remember this, Elliot, because you are too young, but, you know, the first World Cup I remember uh, was 74 um, in Germany. And in the couple of years previous to that, Germany had played England a couple of times and there was this guy called Gunter Netzer mm -hmm. that was yeah. just an amazing midfielder. Do you remember that, Grant? Gunter Netzer. Yeah. yeah, and, like, you know, going to the tournament, starts the World Cup, they just put him to the side, bring in this relatively unknown called, uh, guy called Rainer Bonhoff, who becomes one of the stars of the tournament. So what I'm saying is, this is the test of Southgate now. You know, no, no, no more of this... You know, lovely, worthy little, you know, uh, articles you send out before the tournament. It's all about, you know, the right messaging, the right uh, narrative. Now you've got to earn your money, mate. You know, you have got a, a squad that can win this. You have to work out how to replace Kane. Is it Calvin Lewin or are you going to do a false nine? You know, I'd put Bellingham in, I think. You know, you saw with Gilmore, these young kids... You know, in a season that is full of like overplaying and injuries and lack of preparation physically, these young kids have got advantage. I would put Bellingham in or put him alongside uh, Phillips. And, you know, I think you've got a really good chance. It maybe just happens soon enough that you've got time to change it. Well, we'll see. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I think there's, there's two things as well. When you play the Scots, when they pull that shirt on, they grow in stature. Right. Whereas the England teams, for many years, when they pull the shirt on, there's something inside it that saps energy and makes them shrink. But where were the leaders last night? You know, I know Henderson might not be fully fit, but there was no leader on that pitch for England at all. You know, Harry Kane's, I, I personally, Roger, I'm, even though I'm an Arsenal fan, I think Harry Kane, I think he'll go on this summer somewhere big and let's see what he's like in a big team. Right. But personally, I think he can do it. But he's not a leader of, of men. And and, there, and there's nobody on that pitch yesterday on the England side. Jordan Henderson is a leader. You know, he's a tremendous leader, what he does for Liverpool. When they're not, when he's not in the side, you see Liverpool different, as good as they are. And for me, that's what England missed last night. You're in a scrap. Good point. You're in a scrap. And, you know, get your leaders on the pitch. You know, Jack Grealish, he's got something about him. You know, as soon as he came on, Scots knew they were at it. They had to bring him down. I can't remember who brought him down to yeah, on the yeah, centre circle. Right. And got him. Yeah, they knew right. they were right, and he's got it. He looked for it. He, he had that little look in his eye. He fancied it, and yeah, and and I just think there was that's why uh, I think it was missing last night. Yeah, good news about tournament players. You've only got a few days to wait until you can be disappointed again. Yeah. So we're we're going to make it till Friday, I think, and then we can uh, yeah we can see what happens. Roger, what, what have you got for us this week? Well, I'm going to continue uh, with this theme for my goal, which is Italy, uh, believe it or not. And 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 yeah, you know, we can. It's, it's, they're playing well, but it's, it's it's not just that. You know, like there's a whole little backstory there that really tickles me. That is, um, I just see those two guys standing at the side. You know, when the teams are lining up, Mancini and Viali. You know, this anybody that knows Luca Viali's story with cancer, and he really never, nearly never made it. And you know, to see him there. You can tell, you know, he shows the signs of the struggle he's had with the, with the disease. And those two young men that in the early 90s took that really small team and just lifted it with personality. To see them standing there together is something, something wonderful. And, and then you link that to what he's done, Mancini, which I think is vastly underrated. 
you know, he's playing with Sassuolo players. That's like the equivalent of playing a team full of like Crystal Palace guys, you know. And, you know, he's he's got them playing beautifully. They know each other. They're interchangeable. And what you can see is they've got the team spirit. Score a lot of goals, miss a lot of goals because they don't have all that quality up front. But, you know, it's just great for me because it's my generation. Roberto Mancini, Gianluca Vialli, it just see them standing there. It really, really is uplifting for me. Yeah. Well, and also as a lover of Italian football, I was at Wembley when they lost to Barca. Yeah. And, you know, and Koeman scored and everyone forgets that was Barcelona's first European Cup, you know, as big yeah. as they are now. And and that Sampdoria team were tremendous. And just... Just as a as a to get a team ticket. Funny enough, a couple of people I would with who remain nameless who were quite well known in football tipped me right at the beginning of the tournament. Said Mancini will get this team to Perth, and they weren't Italians. And they said they said it's perfect for him. Tournament football with that team, they're the team to watch. And I hadn't really paid that much attention to them because of the reasons you've sort of intimated. They don't have that many superstars. Don't have the Baggios or the other type yeah, of players you would no imagine superstar. before. But that doesn't matter. Look, Greece won the European Championships and Portugal won it when Ronaldo was off the pitch and became a quasi-coach. You know, it don't necessarily have to have the superstars to win this this tournament. But, Roger, what, what is yeah. it, Roger, that Because you know, if you think about how important football is in Italy, it's arguably more important there than it is in the, in, in the UK, for example. And yet the Italians, they don't seem to wilt under tournament pressure. They seem to do the opposite. I mean, they've had a couple of bad tournaments in the last 20 years that, you know, they've they, famously the North Korean loss when they came home to being pelted with tomatoes, but yeah. that was 50 years ago. So what is it about the Italians that makes them so good at tournament football? Um, it's, a, it's a good question. You know, it could get very philosophical here. They, their whole ethos as a as a culture is a little bit like you know the Prince by Machiavelli. You know, you get it done. You just get things done, and that would be one thing. The other thing uh, I would say is that their football culture is very much not so much now, but used to be man to man. You mm-hmm. just play against your direct opponent, and because of that. I've always noticed they they get overly concerned by the opposition in the lead ups to games. You know, they, they they start analyzing people that you know I don't think necessarily deserve it to with a fear factor, and they they just don't go into games as if they're going to underestimate it. You know, and um, uh, the, the 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 other thing, which is a more technical thing, Grant, is that. You know, who is it? I think it's somebody, one of the American coaches says that, you know, attack wins your games, defense wins your championships. You know, and and, and (laughs) the Italians have always, always understood that. And by the way, you know, they they joke about it, you know, Johnny Vaughan, you know, it's still Bonucci and Chiellini after all these years (laughs) and they're still there. But listen, Giorgio Chiellini has not played football at all this year, hardly. He's he's almost at the end of his ability to go on a field just like plays a couple of practice games at the end of the season, best guy on the field before he goes off, you know? You know, like, I don't think British football, and certainly this England team, I don't think they've got great defenders. And, you know, Italy always knows, you know, you're going to suffer in certain games. And even if you win certain games, there's periods of the game you're going to struggle. And they know you just have to suck it up. And the way you suck it up is just defence, you know. And and they, they, they're they very good at that. 
So this team they've got now, you know, they don't concede goals. You know, last 10 games under Mancini, 10 games, 10 wins, goals conceded zero, goals scored 31. Now, don't tell me that's defensive football. Yep. It'll be interesting to see what happens when they, put, when they come up against a big team. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's what I would say, Grant. Well, I'm going to take us off football uh, and onto another sport with my goal, and that is Richard Bland leading the US Open after two rounds in at Torrey Pines in San Diego, which is just, I mean, talk about Cinderella's story. It was it was fantastic. You know, Rog, he, he won the British Masters where, when our boy Eddie was leading going into the last round. Yeah. And, you know, Richard Bland came through and, and won in a hugely emotional, I forget what the number was, but it was, you know, 400-odd starts on the European Tour he'd had without winning. It was a nerve-jangling win that I still can't quite believe he actually won that playoff, given the, the the kind of firepower that he was up against that young Italian lad in the in the playoff. But when he did, and here he is two rounds into the US Open on what's proven to be a, you know, a very difficult golf course, as they always are. And he's he's not only in the lead, but playing with a smile on his face, playing supremely controlled golf. It, it, I can't wait to watch what happens at the weekend. And how how nervous he gets because everything he's saying is you know look I've been through Q school I've lost my car this is this is nowhere near as much pressure as that but it's easy to say and if you're not in the lead in the U.S. Open with like six holes to play but it's really given it some extra juice at the weekend to watch to watch him and see if he can take this on which would be amazing. Yeah, he's about your age, Elliot. You know, uh, so like, can you imagine all of a sudden um, he finds what he was destined to do when he probably thought it was too late for him as a sportsman but I agree with Grant his demeanour is the thing that strikes you you know and his swing looks smooth and god who knows you know who knows well history used to say leading at the halfway point you'd be the pace setter and these type of things but over the last few years there's been a lot lot of occasions where those players lesser players not, not in terms of they're still good players anyone who's on that level is a very good player but that players end up just playing those four days of their lives and win these tournaments. You know, it's, I reckon the last 20 years, as you stood always in golf, you'd have the big players come through, you know, moving day on a Saturday, et cetera. But I, 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 more and more, you'll see players come through, just hold it together. They're cool. They're calm. They're, they've got good people around them. They know what it's like to suffer. So they're strong mentally and they just go and enjoy it, right? Get in the right head space and enjoy it. And people, I know, Historically, in the gambling world, some of the biggest bets go in golf because certain golfers just love certain golf courses. Yeah. You know, and the history of it and everything else, you can do a lot of research on players around that just love that track, you know, and they love playing there. So maybe that's something, if you look back, he's might have played there a few times before, clicked, he just loves it. I remember always playing Torrey Pons on the simulated golf, right? As a kid, it was one of those, <laughs> and I wasn't any good then. Uh, and uh, so, Maybe it'd be brilliant. What a great story! Yeah. Well, I mean, today, today will be. I suspect we'll find out all we need to know today. If he can handle the pressure today, I think he'll handle it tomorrow. But this is the one sleeping on the lead, and you're going out there in the last group on the third day of the U.S. Open with all these names kind of chasing him down. If he can, if he can play well today, then it would give me a lot of hope that going into that last round that he can actually do something yeah. special which would be absolutely amazing it would be amazing it would be sports personality of the year stuff if he does that oh yeah you know it's just like astonishing achievement astonishing well listen i i've got an own goal that that um listen this weekend i'm going to drag us back to football as much as possible i think um <laughs> and i'm going to ask Elliot here because he's somebody that knows 
clubs and, and how clubs work intimately. And I'm going to talk about Tottenham, as Kalini calls them, Tottenham. Something missing, always something missing. <laughs> what, is, what is going on there? Because in, in a lot of ways, well, we saw the documentary, we got a chance to see Daniel up close. But, but apart from the documentary, you know, Daniel's record, Daniel Levy's record speaks for itself. You know, he's kept an amazing control on, on the wages to revenue. I think one would say that he, he, he is somebody that has not bowed to, you know, the pressure to to do what others have done. So all the things that I say football clubs need to do, I would say he's been somebody that's really done them well. But I cannot understand what's happened in the last couple of weeks at, at Spurs. You know, and obviously this thing with Gattuso and then the fans shouting them down. You know, there's so much to unpick there about what is going on. Meme culture, you know, the power of the fans. Uh, are they getting a taste for this? They did it with the Super League. They've now done it with Gattuso. What's next? Oh, you know, like, Elliot, what's your read as honestly as you can about your great rivals in this moment? Yeah, as I say, I've got a lot of family and friends who are, are Tottenham supporters, so I'll be careful with what I'm saying. And so, first and foremost, for the lack of success that Tottenham have had for a very, very long time, I can assure you Arsenal fans would be nowhere near as loyal as Tottenham fans. You know, we're, we're very oh. fickle. We're a very, very fickle Arsenal supporters. Forget the sort of the whole nonsense the last few years and the sort of divided Wenger in, Wenger out. Arsenal fans yeah. were very fickle historically. So considering the success we've been blessed to have, we're far more fickle. Tottenham fans are really loyal. And we'd now talk about clubs as global businesses and Spurs have got their fair element of overseas. But in, in London and in North London, they've still got an enormous support and it's a very, very loyal support. They've always been a, a big club. Now, big club tends to then transfer into trophies and you know, Daniel's been there a long time and you know, Spurs are a club I can tell you personally gave me as much help as any a club in dugout yeah, yeah, and have become yeah. a shareholder in one football and bought in to do that. So, you know, they're progressive. They're trying to do the right thing. They're thinking about things. And people used to raise an eyebrow at how much Spurs supported us in dugout, you know, and they weren't an original founder shareholder at that time. And so there's lots of things I think they're trying to do off the pitch. They're doing great. Clearly the stadium, you know, much as it hurts me to say, is unbelievable. You know, I went to the, the North London derby just before lockdown in December. It's incredible. I think when it comes to... Managers of uh, who are big name managers who are looking to join a club, look at the raw ingredients. If you look at this summer, Roger, they've got some real issues. They've got their star striker looking to leave. And if you go back in history, when Bale left, having that money burning a hole in your pocket isn't necessarily an easy thing. You know, some of the players they bought, I mean, Lamella's still there, but some of the other players they bought, you know, it's not easy. You suddenly think you've got 100 million to spend. You know, sometimes clubs prefer to spend the money first, then sell the players so they don't have the other clubs trying to jack the prices. But any manager coming in knowing that Harry Kane is almost likely to leave, I think it's very difficult. You've also got an ageing defence, a goalkeeper that's probably coming towards the end of his time. as a good goalkeeper and club captain, which people forget he's the club captain. And I think a lot of these managers are thinking, okay, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I know other managers that passed on other jobs because they look at it as more a rebuilding. And these managers have big egos, especially the Galactico-style managers. Yeah. 
And I think slowly but surely they're looking at this and Conte would have looked and thought, right, I need this amount of money. I've got to replace yeah. eight players. We all know when you buy that amount of the players, the next season is very difficult. You know, I don't see anyone ever buying that many players. So I don't necessarily, I just look whether that's because they hope, Mar- he really had high hopes for Mourinho. Yeah. You know, and in the first couple of years with Mourinho are normally reasonably good. And it just didn't go. I, I described their Champions League final as the high watermark of the Confederacy. I, I said that to my friends. I said, I don't think, I think you're going to find it hard to get back to that heights. You know, you reached, you reached Madrid, you got in, you got against Liverpool. It was a game that could have gone either way that game. And uh, as I said to my friends in Liverpool, the whole of London's probably cheering you on tonight. But um, it was, yeah. um, I, I just think they've, they've hit, uh, uh, there's sort of three or four things all at the same time. You can throw COVID in as a bit of an excuse as well because they're heavily debted and people forget that Wenger had to sign a contract for five years when Arsenal moved to the Emirates, guaranteeing that he'd get a 20 million net profit from transfers and reach the Champions League every year. You know, that was the bank sort of covenant that they wanted. And whilst Amazing. the world's, and, and I, I would describe that as Wenger's greatest achievement, <laughs> even above yeah. it, because some of the players we had in some of those teams were not Arsenal players. So I think it's a bit of that, Roger, is, is I think it's an amalgam of all those things. And I think that's why they're hitting a wall, because as you're sitting down, you probably it's not their wages they're looking at or their backroom staff they want to bring. Those things are easy for managers. I just think it's it's a major rebuilding job with limited resources and the resources you're going to get, you're going to lose your best player. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, 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 I hear all of that, but it still doesn't add up for me, Elliot. In any business, and you're a very successful businessman outside of sport, in any business, your main task is to attract and retain the best talent and no more so in the football department of a major football club. I just can't see any way I can make a case that... Paratici is the right guy, not after, you know, the road he's taken Juventus down the last two or three years. And uh, I listen, I don't have all the facts, but I'm assuming because I know he's always liked Gattuso, that Gattuso was his guy. So where's Daniel in all of this? You know, why can't they find somebody that knows how to run a football department as a business as opposed to what we say in the UK, our directors of football, which are really contracts guys or or at best recruitment guys. They're not what I would call COOs of the football department. Uh, It strikes me that he needs somebody that is almost a little bit like a Rottweiler bad cop that just says, look, you know, I'll let you stay you know the main guy, the the the, you know, the, the, the person that that can have the chat with the manager and all of that, and I'll do your dirty work. You know I'll make sure nothing gets done without the right process. You know that's what I see missing there. Otherwise, I can't explain what happened with Gattuso this week. That was a nonsense decision. Yeah, I, I, as I say, I don't know the ins and outs. Some of, what I, and I, I would also say, Roger, that it depends how clubs are structured. You know, and the football, some football clubs have big structures. Tottenham has a small structure. Yeah, it does. And, and they've done brilliantly. You know, I sort of, remind, it reminds me of that car two years ago, Mr. Ben, you know, they're, they're doing all the same jobs. It's unbelievable. Um, you know, Donna Cullen's fantastic. They've got group, really good people. And I'm not saying that as a politically correct thing to say. They have got good people, you know, in life and in, in businesses I've been in, sometimes you punch above your weight. And I think Spurs have done pretty well on that the last few years and got themselves into that big six. 
and uh, not just in the league position, but sort of optics, every big decision, etc. If you thought before Pochettino, they didn't get it right. And then Pochettino, they landed a, an ace. Well, this, right? is my, this is my point. This so whether that's point. if problem. I was, Well, I, one could say uh, you were nowhere, nowhere near getting it right. You just got lucky with Pochettino, who gave you the, the idea that you were doing things much better than you actually were. Because I can't explain what happened this week. You know, I, I know these two characters well and, and like Rino Gattuso is not a manager of a club like Tottenham, not in 2021, neither as a profile and not technically either. And and, and Paratici, he's just not got the track record. You know, like he signed a lot of frees, you know, uh, Ramsey, Rabiot. You know, if you look at uh, Juventus's financial performance, their wages are killing them just now. And of course, Cristiano Ronaldo, the main part of that. So I, I don't understand it. You know, uh, sometimes these clubs look pretty impressive and other times you just think, uh, what were you thinking? You know? It's, yeah. It sounds to me like a job for Big Sam or Tony Pulis, I reckon. They've got to be, uh, got to be in the frame at some point. Right? <laughs> I don't, could do worse than bring Harry out of doing betting ads and I'm a celebrity. Right. I think Harry could come back. You know, one of the, one of the one of the great things about Harry Redknapp, I saw it the other day on Twitter, it comes out every so often, is that supporters do that he was sitting at with Frank beside him. Brilliant. Did you see yeah. that? Yeah, you fantastic, see? amazing. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, not no pressure on the young lads. So credit to Frank for living up to that. But uh, you know, in the middle of the fire, there. Why have you sold uh, Matty Holland? Why have you sold this other guy? And he gives a diplomatic response and they continue and he says, I'll just tell you, this guy here's the real deal and yeah. they aren't. And I mean, like, yeah, Harry's got a million flaws and everything like that. But um, I think he's got a pretty good record at sporting a player, you know, a pretty good record. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and you know, and, and it was a little bit that whole time around England and getting sacked by Spurs, he was a little bit unlucky, but. You know, Pochettino also inherited a pretty good team, good set of youth players coming through. I mean, he got them purring. I remember there were a retiring goalkeeper, Brad Friedel, told me, he said yeah. at the age of 41, he said, training with Pochettino for six months, it was the fittest I've ever been in my career. Yeah. He said, I've never seen yeah. anything like it. And he said, and they didn't have as many injuries. Now, I still think as well, Pochettino's teams almost, and I've seen it a little bit with Liverpool this year, this high-intensity you don't rotate the team enough or or you just play at that level, I think teams get burnout from it. I think it's a new thing we're going to start to watch with this high-pressing game that teams yeah. run into. They're at a cycle of that, doing that for two or three years on the bounce. They're, they're starting to burn out with the same city. You've got to freshen these teams up because the players are exhausted. Yeah, you know, you're, you're spot on. You know, we don't talk about this a lot here, but, you know, the stuff I do with Zone 7, I, you would knock off your socks if I could show you what we can see, exactly what you've said there. But before it happens, it's mm. it's like it's like you know red and green traffic lights. Yeah, amazing. I, you're absolutely right. It's you know the calendars uh, going to get worse and worse and worse. They, you know, I I just uh, I, th I think that's where you can really make a difference. But anyway, um, so Grant, what else have you got for us? I'll tell you what, I've got another goal, which is a four-part Showtime documentary that I stumbled across this last week called The Kings. Have you seen this thing? It's a four-part documentary about the middleweight champions in the 80s. Hagler, <laughs> Hearns, Leonard, Duran. 
I've watched the first two. I'm halfway through. It's absolutely spectacular. And and really? you go back to this time, and this was for me. This was the golden age of, of boxing, and that division coming at the end of Ali's career to then transition away from the heavyweight division into this middleweight division, and it profiles all four of them, shows you how they came up, how they got their shot at the title. Uh, and it's just, A, it's incredibly evocative of what was a, a, an amazing time in boxing. But also, you know, for me, it was a, it was a, a great time in my life. You know, I was a teenager when those things were going on. And I watched every single one of those fights. But you forget how good they were. You forget how mobile Sugar Ray was. You forget how tough Duran was. You forget how obstinate Hagler was. You know, you forget how lethal Hearns was. And just seeing these fights again, and seeing the totally different backgrounds and upbringings of these guys, you know, Sugar Ray, Olympic gold medalist, the pretty boy, the spokesman for every product under the sun. And then you look at, you know, his first fight with Duran and Duran, you know, growing up next to the Panama Canal, basically, and being told by the Americans if they kind of crossed this line into the zone, as it was called, to get back to Panama, you know, growing up with nothing. And then going out and that that first uh, Leonard Duran fight, which you kind of forget about because it was the beginning of it all, was just unbelievable. I mean, the first four rounds, how, how Sugar Ray Leonard remained standing up, I'll never know. And then for that to fight to go 15 rounds and for, uh, you know, for, for it to be so close was just fantastic. So as I'm halfway through this series, I cannot recommend it highly enough for any boxing fans, anyone of our age that grew up in those times. It is it's absolutely wonderful. Last Saturday night for me, done. So, um, I'm, yeah. I'll, <laughs> and also how much Grant they they all wanted to fight each other, right? There was no dodging. Oh, yeah. You know, they just couldn't. It, it wasn't money. It wasn't the nonsense that can sometimes nope. be around boxing today. They just all wanted to fight each other. They couldn't. Yeah, didn't matter if they got beat. You know, weren't worried about preserving an unbeaten record. They just wanted to fight each other again and again. Well, that, that's it. Yeah, the, the the series starts off with Sugar Ray, and they, and they they kind of bring him up to his first championship fight. And then they go down the bill on that night and there's uh, Hagler fighting Vito Antifermo, Rog, for the... No. For the, yeah. It, it, was a, it was a supporting bout, you know. And you realise how their paths crossed and weaved together. But, you, you know, you had two promoters in Don King and Bob Arum who couldn't stand each other but made as many of these big matches yeah. as they could. And, 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 you know, what was fascinating to watch, they kind of run you almost montage style through the fights as these guys are, are, are building their reputations. And what was amazing to watch was the money that Sugar Ray was getting for his pro fights after winning that gold medal, and then Hagler. And Hagler was getting you know, $70 for a fight and $100 for a fight. It was such a yeah, hard it was, deal. Yeah, it was, it was, it was remarkable. So I'm, I'm only halfway through it, but I, I'm, I'm kind of itching to get back to the last two episodes because it was just, it was spellbinding TV. It really was. Amazing. Well, did it cover? Probably not. It hasn't covered the no mass fight yet. No, no, I'm, no, we're not there yet. But, and, and when you look at Duran, and again, at the time of that fight, all I really understood was what the media told me about how it was amazing to see this guy do that. Well, what a fight it must have been. But watching all this stuff and know more about it now, I haven't read about it over the years, you realize just how tough Duran was. I mean, this guy was made out of granite. So I can't wait to get to that and see how they handle it because for him to, to do that, it must have been just just completely unbearable. Well, there's a whole rabbit hole of uh, conspiracy theories around that. Um, <laughs> of course there is. Um, but, you know, there's some good people that have written about it. And obviously the Unomas third fight. But that happened many years later. The One of the theories you'll love this, Grant, is that 
They went to Duran and they say, look, you're going to lose this one and you'll get a quick rematch and it'll be mega bucks. And um, he kind of like went along with that and then they reneged. And they waited until he was well, well past it. Who knows? But, you know, it'll probably come out in this series. So like, like Elliot, that'll be my uh, Sunday gone. Yeah, The Kings, <laughs> it's called. The Kings. Right. But before we leave boxing, before we leave boxing, I do want to ask, and this will take us a little bit into more Elliot's businessy stuff. And there's this wonderful quote this week from Logan Paul. Uh, you know no, who Logan we go, Paul okay. is. Okay, okay, yeah. Listen, listen. How can we You're talk like, about? No, but hang on. How can we talk about those great middleweights in the eighties? And then bring and Logan Paul say, in. I want to. I want. Yeah, I want to keep it on boxing and talk about Logan Paul. Come well, on. well. How about I say that the platform? Have a bit of respect. <laughs> yeah, the plat the platform that he, he did it on Triller is valued at five billion now. But that's not the point of the the little because uh, this is goal on goal. It's not groundsman. So um, Logan Paul hubris, and we started a little bit with hubris earlier on. He's saying to somebody, look, you know, I think my next move is going to be Mike Tyson. And his lawyer says to him, you, you can't fight Mike Tyson. He'll rip your fucking head off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, like and, and his, reply, his, his reply, I'm reading it here. Dude, I'm like, you can't tell me I can't beat Mike Tyson. Bro, he's old, too old. Now, you know, we all know what we are thinking here. You know, like, yeah. please, please make please, that match. Yeah. Please make that match. And then all you do a little bit just before the, you know, the love worked out, you know, like don't hurt each other, you know, just like all of that. You just say to Mike Tyson before it starts, he's screwing Robin Givens. Yeah. 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 I just get him loose. <laughs> and can you get him back in your mind? Yes. Yeah. I, I, that, Roger, you and I have talked about this whole fiasco so many times now and i have to say it's the one thing that you and i have gone back and forth about that you haven't changed my mind on i just i've got no time for it. I, I honestly i still don't know who won the logan paul mayweather flight i have no idea there was I, no I, decision it was there was I, not a decision apart from when mayweather but my, my mayweather did catch him and almost held him up because he was worried that's about right. knocking him out right that's you know right, he, he was right. playing with him he was playing with him yeah and you put Mike's the weight of Tyson. Mike, Ty no, no, Tyson, Tyson wouldn't do that. Wouldn't do that. <laughs> He'd make sure he, he stays down. do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Elliot, Elliot, tell us what your own, your own goal for this week was. Uh, okay, so, so um, my, my own goal is this whole nonsense around the Coca-Cola and Cristiano Ronaldo. Oh, uh, yes. Um, ah. Now, having being an interloper in, and lucky enough to work in sports media for a little while, uh, having come from a much more glamorous insurance industry, it's remarkable to see how badly it was reported in so many aspects, you know, about the 4 billion, what's Coke's 230 billion market cap, 4 billion can drop in a day. The market was terrible that day. Yeah. Um, and the wider look, Cristiano's got every, you know, he, he, he want to play ball. He's probably got his own agenda. He's a very smart, man and will be a very successful business person in my opinion as similar to a magic johnson or uh, the other ronaldo or otherwise he'll be a very successful businessman when he finishes he's he's a smart guy but the nonsense about it was reported and also how in my opinion we're in the last of the mohican phase of footballers individually marketing things i think we're going to go towards much more club formula one style structure where if you actually take messi and Ronaldo out, nearly every other major player, maybe Neymar with the exception, really might have a little boot deal, might have a couple of bits and pieces, but largely they don't have anything anymore. 
it's being done by the movie studios, not the actors. And the conflict and what's being built into more and more players' contracts is obviously the image right piece is a better tax break, but also is that footballers are doing more and more for clubs, like Formula One drivers sign up. Even Lewis has hardly any external endorsements. He'll sign his deal with Mercedes, agree to do a certain amount of time with Mercedes. And I think it's going to change individual players that will have a voice within that club for certain things and is important on that. But that whole thing was badly reported. Coca-Cola, frankly, shouldn't be up there anyway. They've got so many other ways to activate that sponsorship today, which is nonsense. And frankly, who watches it and notices, oh, look, there's a couple of Coke bottles at the front of the press conference. I would ask a million people, I'd be amazed if one said they noticed it, with the exception of that. But the whole thing, I think, is it's time for a reset. And I think it was a huge own goal this week in general. And I think the sports marketing's got still a little bit lazy and, and silly things like this are thrown in and they could do with the sharpening up a bit. Well, you know, I'm so delighted you came up with this because it, it, it's not where I would have thought you were going to go with this. Uh, you know, I think the accepted wisdom now, and I think I'm probably along on that myself, is that, you know, the narrative is Ronaldo's got 300 million Instagram followers, more than all the teams combined. Athletes are not even going to be bothered doing their press conference. They can all do their player tribune thing. I thought the case is going to go the other way and the clubs, maybe not the clubs, but certainly the tournaments, the events are really going to struggle to get these people to play ball, excuse the pun, in any way whatsoever in marketing. So it's fascinating and I'm listening really intently that you think it's going to go the other way. Yeah, I just think, I just know a lot of the football agents, they can't be bothered. The players' wages are so big, they don't need the aggravation. You know, they really don't need the aggravation of individual marketing, unless you're an absolute monster. Of course, social media numbers, we don't even want to get into that, Roger, uh, much of a false position they are. And uh, so for me, I'm seeing it the other way. I'm seeing more and more of the players saying, only bit of time I get, I want to spend with my family or my friends. I don't want to do a load of marketing. I don't want to build myself in a monster brand. I want to play football. And if the clubs are willing to offer more, I'll go the other way. So I think we're in the last phase of these individual players. We have three big ones, really, and Neymar is slightly different and slightly out there because of the Brazilian aspect, really, more than the global aspect. Um, Messi's never really wanted to do much. He just wants to play football. Whereas Cristiano, yeah, Messi would, if he got injured, he'd go into such a dark space, he'd sit in a dark room for three days and not play. You know, he couldn't talk to people if he got injured. And so I see him and he's complicated to deal with. Obviously, Cristiano is a bigger management group, very well-known group around him. Uh, he'll be the last one. For me, I, I think it's going completely the Formula One model. Yeah, it's funny, when I look at this, Elliot, I've got to say, and I hadn't thought about this until you brought it up, but more and more, when you look at the flack that, LeBron James took, for example, you know, protecting his sponsors um, over the China thing, you know, and you look at these these big players, as you say, what I do see them doing is spending a lot of time promoting themselves as a brand, right? It's, it's you know, Christian is, is promoting himself and, you know, Roger Federer's got Roger Federer's, you know, tennis apparel stuff and sneakers and, you know, he's, he's got his name on his own stuff. I see that happening more and more that these guys have said, you know, why do we have to take on other people's merchandise? Why can't we just use ourselves to brand ourselves? And you're right, you know, now I think about it, there are so few big name 
soccer players in the world now when, that you see on TV. There's a Pepsi ad that, that comes on. Asian and it's, yeah. got, you know, it's got Pogba, it's got Neymar, it's got Messi. And I forget who's in it. I forget who else is in it. But there are a couple of other footballers that I had to look at and go, is that, I can't remember, you know, I wasn't sure who it was, but I, I recognised the three of them. And it is noticeable that you don't see that many footballers advertising products these days. I, I, it's, it's such a great point because I hadn't given it any thought whatsoever. Yeah, no, it's really something to reflect on. I, I, I'm still not sure I agree with you, Elliot, but, you know, the great thing is I'm, go, I'm going to think about this now um, because is it a soccer thing? Is it is it is it because, as we say, maybe we just don't have a superstar coming up? You know, in American sport, I don't see it going in that direction. I think they are getting more and more around the, you know, the personality and what they can do and, you know, individual marketing campaigns. But I take your point, you know, Formula One is going in that direction and they're very marketable young men. So if that is the case, uh, and it does go back to the clubs, do you buy this argument then that the clubs uh, are massively undervalued if you compare them to, you know, any other user, you know, based um organization you know a pin interest a, a, an uber uh, anything like that are, are you along this line of arpu uh, they should be valued much much higher than they are is that do you believe that well a lot of times things are valued on the ability that of their potential right so a lot of a lot of wall street will value businesses and you've seen that a lot with the softbank investments over the last few years which were probably slightly overinflated like WeWorks, et cetera, <laughs> and Uber, but um, um, for reasons we haven't got enough time to talk about. But for me, football clubs are fundamentally undervalued. However, the caveat I would have in that is if they're able to execute on the potential. And the potential clearly, and the Manchester United one's a great analogy, you touched on Pinterest, you know, that allegedly have the same amount of fans, you know, or, or same amount they have users Pinterest, 600 million versus 600 million fans. The fact that clubs ran into social media's arms so willingly a decade ago meant that immediately someone else owns that contact. So they're having to do things about that and they're doing a lot, but they're still very hard when you're not individually a media business. And a few people that I'm very friendly with at the club still say it's the classic four revenue streams that you've had since the 50s, more or less. So if the clubs can unlock that potential, yeah, I think they're massively undervalued. If Pinterest is worth 40 plus billion and even at a right number, Manchester United is at 4 billion, let's say, you know, to be generous, something feels wrong. Yeah. Something feels, feels wrong, wrong there. Now, it's all about execution. And now you've seen this why private equity were looking at investing in leagues, one, because of the COVID opportunity, but also yeah. almost to take over running that commercial arm of that business yeah. because they know how to do it. And yeah. you know, I'm I'm a personal big believer that clubs should look more at outsourcing some of these areas, you know, to capture the potential. They don't think twice about sourcing catering at the stadium because someone does it better. They don't think yeah. twice about someone running Manchester United outsource their superstore um, yeah. at Old Trafford. Maybe there's people who could do things better than the existing business or individually, as big as you are, you're just one brand trying to do something and so i can see some shifts in the way clubs do things i know a lot of the things that are happening at the moment and you know sometimes a bit like the medical world when something like covid happens the massive accelerant 
in innovation happens. You know, during a war, you see a massive accelerant of innovation. You know, medical techniques become honed better because of conflict, which then becomes something in civilian life. And I think there's a lot of people sniffing around it. The key always problem with the clubs is finding the ability to bridge the gap between what the clubs want to do and these people with the money think they can do. And if you can find that sweet spot in the middle, which is really the hardest problem, there's a huge amount of upside in these clubs. Um, well, well, yeah. Well, let's 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 take a little scenario here. Arsenal. Let's assume you, me, and Grant. Uh, Grant's from the finance world. We make two or three calls, and we put together three billion, and we take it over. What do you think you could do with that, Elliot? Well, first of all, it's hypothetical because I think the Cronkies are very committed to the club. So, as yeah. my club, I don't want them phoning me saying, "Why are we talking about buying on a podcast?" Just because. Yeah, hypothetically. All right, I'll do it. let's do it Spurs. Okay, so Joe The, the good news about Spurs is we only need one billion, so that's, yeah. that's handy. Well, I don't know. You're negotiating with Joe and Daniel. It'll probably be five. <laughs> that's hard. So, um, so, so any club, right, any major club, let's let's pick a – because they're all Fulham, pretty similar, example. right? They're Fulham, exactly. Yeah. We've got the new stand coming up. Uh, uh, but if you're picking a major club today, you've got yeah. four real revenue streams still, right? So you've got yeah. your season tickets – You've got your merch, you've got your sponsorship, and you've got your TV revenues, right? That's kind of it. Now, of course, data is playing a more and more important role in all four of those. Because if you know, clubs would normally say to their season ticket holder, you know, happy birthday, or would you like to buy your shirt? And other things are starting to evolve. And some clubs are getting quite sophisticated on their data, but they don't have a big enough pool. Club websites are really looked upon as a source of trusted source. And maybe to check the fixtures quickly more fixtures, than anything else. else. So you don't have enough volume. So you need to create volume and you need to partner with different people. And, and so that's the first part. The second part for me is taking some of the intangible assets that are on the balance sheet and making them tangible. You can create some really interesting structures around some of them. Data is an obvious one. I think that could create a huge amount no, no, of no, sorry, I can't let that go past without getting more specific on that. How do you take intangible and make it tangible? Give me an example. Okay, so I'll give you an example. So during the pandemic, airlines have been trying to raise money. So don't have a huge amount of assets. A lot of their planes are either leased or uh, otherwise. Yeah. What, what's the biggest asset an airline has? Their frequent flyer program. The amount of data they have on those individuals is enormous. And valuable. So what's happened in the pandemic is airlines have taken an intangible asset and created a special purpose vehicle and either raised money or taken an equity position in that SPV. So that's taking an intangible the asset. SPV that intangible. holds the frequent flat. The free, holds the, Correct. So in a, in a football, that's the database or your CRM system. Correct. With only a huge amount of upside. So you can raise money, establish a value, and lots of different ways you could skin the cat. That would be one example that I would name of how to do a football club and big money and allows you to invest that money. Because I tell you, Roger, not to go off too much on a tangent, but football clubs have never got enough money to invest in the opportunity because the money keeps going to the football and the playing side. That's yeah. not all, always entirely fair. But when Paris Saint-Germain signed Neymar, they asked us to help them hire an additional digital media editor at €30,000 a year. And that kind of, for me, <laughs> sums up the problem. 
Um, Paying him and, 300 grand a week and they come to you for the chicken feed. Correct. Yeah. But in fairness, clubs are investing more and more and more. And, you know, there's talented people in these clubs. The level's gone up enormously in the last even seven or eight years. But you're still fighting a battle of budget versus revenue. All the money needs to go here and more than ever. So data is an example. Another one for me would be licensing. So Ferrari allegedly make more money out of selling their key rings and they do their cars because it's all margin. So I would have said most football clubs, major football clubs on licensing make less than a million a year. So if you, that's just two. That's two examples of the opportunity. Now, do it yourself, do it with someone else. Two examples instantly of where you could do things. I, I can tell you, you know, Lucas who came on here or, or came on one of your pods at, at One Football. Lucas and the team there are extremely progressive. They're doing things that are going to be really interesting in the next few weeks. There's two new revenue streams that they're going to unleash for the clubs that create more and more momentum and data and insight. So if the clubs can unlock this, we were lucky in dugout. We were the first people to ever do something. Took three and a half years of turgid work, 18 times being thrown out of one particular club. But what you were able to do was create a business where people saw equity as a bigger opportunity than yeah. a straightforward guaranteed minimum payment. And you know, if you start to think about the ability for clubs to start doing that more, secondly, being able to create infrastructures and ways that clubs can do this, then yeah, I think the clubs have got an enormous amount of upside. But you've got to unlock it. I know lots of businesses have got lots of upside. You have to have the right people. You have the right structure. And yeah. you have to have the right partners. And the other problem with football is there's a lot of people in the commercial side of football outside who are trying to pitch to clubs ideas. And it's the old fashioned, we'll give you a guarantee 2 million if you sign with us. Yeah, yeah. And we've got, we've got to get rid of that because we were able to do something in dugout because we had common and shared interest. But our biggest challenge was building the right type of business. Once we got the group, we then had to keep experimenting until we found the right ideas. But by having yeah. an equity position, people acted as shareholders, not commercial partners. So I think there's an enormous amount of upside. And there's a million more that uh, we could we could talk all day. But that, that's but, just to give you no, an idea of what you could do with a club. Yeah, I, I know you're one of the real thought leaders in this space. So I'm always really keen to, to listen to you. And, and it's just been fantastic to have this kind of conversation that, you know, starts where it should start, which is talking about the footballers, the athletes, the, the stars. And then, you know, at the end, we, you, you talk about what you can do with that. That's the way sports should be run as a business. I think if you try and do it the other way around, then you very quickly, as the European Super League found out, don't get anywhere. There's a smell test in football, I find, Elliot, and you got to have the patience to let the other side smell. And once you're there, you can stay right, okay, we, we understand each other. We're both credible enough to, 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 to deal with the sport. So, you know, you coming on here, I think you really, with dugout, certainly first mover, first people to do that. You know, you, you tried all these different business models. And now, you know, what you just talked about in the last 15 minutes, fascinating. And, and as I say, it always makes me think, you know, a different way, uh, which is great. Listen, thanks so much for coming on, Elliot. Yeah, thanks, Elliot. It's been an absolute treat. Thanks, guys. I really enjoyed it. The other, the other one I was going to say with the Chiellini example was Baresi in 94, right? When he came back and was man of the match in the final against Brazil, yeah. uh, Roger. That was, um, 
you know, it just shows you how these guys can mentally get up for a game. But gents, I'm, I'm flattered you asked me to come on and, and thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Well, Elliot, just uh, let people know if, if you're on social media, if they can follow you and, and kind of get more of your thoughts, because I suspect there's plenty of people that are going to want to hear more of them after that. Uh, sure. So I'm, I'm only on Twitter. <laughs> um, so uh, and that's more to look at what Roger and others are up to. So um, to learn as much as I can. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Elliot R1971. Uh, two L's, one T. So uh, um, and be delighted and, and always enjoy a good proper chat on social media and well, we'll do, we'll do um, so this again be delighted look after our boy there uh tierney uh, he, he's a real jewel look after him now we uh, oh listen if i have anything to do with it we will he's um but we want to build around him he's fantastic yeah. so thank you and yeah and well done good luck good luck next week roger and uh hope you, you bang too. a goal in i hope we and, both uh, go through it'd be nice huh be nice enjoy it it'd yeah. be good for the thanks, whole country thanks for giving us your time Thanks, Pleasure, guys. So Thanks again. Cheers, Elliot. Thank Take you. care. See Take you. Care. Bye. 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 Oh, that was wonderful, Roger. Absolutely fantastic. I, I, really I told that. you that would be great, isn't it? Just yeah, proper, really proper conversation. Yeah. Smart yeah. as hell. Smart as hell. Real lateral thinker. And, you know, like, even that last bit at the end, well, not everybody says, oh, it's all the power's going to the, the, the athletes. It's going to be more and more and more. And he comes up with the other direction. Yeah, it's very interesting. That's 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 really got me thinking. Really got yeah. me thinking. Well, mate, we've well, come to the end of another edition, I guess. All that remains is to thank our guest, Elliot Richardson, for, for coming on and uh, spending that hour with us. To thank you for listening. Once again, a quick plea to rate and review the podcast in the iTunes store if you can. It really does help. And a reminder that if you're not following us already on Twitter, you can do that very easily. You'll find us at Entertained R. That's the word A-R-E. And you can find myself at TTMYGH. And you can find myself at RPM Como, as in the beautiful lake. As in the beautiful lake. All right, Rog, I'll see you soon, mate. Thanks. Great stuff. Great stuff.